but I still deadlifted more than you, so I don't know what to do about that. Nice. <laughs> so how are you guys feeling? Prep, ready feeling to roll? Good. Did you guys, are you guys UFC fans by chance? No. I didn't watch the fight, but I was uh, on stream afterwards and had a bunch of people come in and, and give me the rundown, and I saw all the aftermath. Oh, my gosh. So, um, yeah, it was a huge fight. Khabib won. Uh, he's the favorite to win. But afterwards, holy smokes, Khabib jumped into the crowd, started throwing punches on people. Uh, people jumped into the cage, started throwing punches on Connor. Things got a little full, messy. Full WWE there at the end was uh, a little bit. That's right. We don't normally see that kind of stuff in powerlifting. No. This year, yeah. though. Yeah. This year, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Just so you know, Ben. That's right. You jump into the platform, attack Ben's people. People jump into the platform, attack yeah. you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, leading into this, what were your guys' thoughts? Um, I think one of the big storylines, that the division kind of moved wide open, obviously, with Bryce Lewis taking himself out of it. And... Um, we had him on and he talked about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got some, not necessarily injuries, but he's, he wants to address some things, right? So taking a year off, he's not in the Nationals, and therefore he's not going to make a national team. And uh, very rarely you see something like that with a uh, defending national champion, defending world champion. Someone opens up the division a little bit. Um, what were your guys' thoughts when you first heard that? Garrett, you want to go first? Or? Sure, sure. Since I'm number one, I'll go first, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That's <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have talked with Bryce before, and, and I mean, we all get along. I mean, you'll, you'll see Ben and I go at each other, but we're good friends. And same with Eli, same with Bryce. We kind of all know what's going on with each other's training throughout the years. It's not any big surprises or anything. And so I, I had known that uh, Bryce had been hurting for a long time, and he knew that I had been hurting for a long time. Apparently, Kristoff had been hurting for a while, too. He went kind of silent there and then didn't have the best worlds, you know. So, um Bryce made, a, I think, a really smart call after doing, you know, with the Arnold and then into Worlds to take some time off and not end up with an injury. Um, and he's looking strong again already, yeah. even after taking some time off. He yeah. still looks really clean in his lifting. So I, I chose the other route this year. I decided to uh, try to break everything down and rebuild from the bottom but still compete. Uh, Ben's actually been helping me with my form a ton. So it's, uh, it's been a work in progress, but I got things I got to clean up too. Yeah, what'd you think there, Ben, when you found out? I well, I mean, I I had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen. Bryce is a pretty good friend of mine. We play Dungeons and Dragons every Sunday, or at least have for the last year. So I have pretty frequent contact with him, and had a pretty good idea that I, I he'd been he'd been training through pain. It's even if it's not necessarily a full on injury, uh, just about every squat session or deadlift session he was doing had some sort of back pain, and it was just. I, I also know how frustrated he was that he wasn't really able to push those two lifts. Like, he had kind of stalled pretty hard on those. His bench was going really well, but but he was uh, he was just running into kind of a matter of these aren't progressing and they hurt really bad. Uh, I Honestly, last year at Nationals was one of my favorite experiences, getting to compete with, with everybody, and it just the energy in the primetime flight didn't seem like aggressive or or all that confrontational it was a really like a high positive energy of just hey man go out there and get it it was i i think that the best kind of competitive avenue is to not wish your friends to 
miss. And that's and that's how I consider it. You know, sass and and quips aside, I consider Garrett a, a really good friend. I'm not as as familiar with Eli, but I I loaned him some headphones last year, and so he. <laughs> I I just have a lot of love for everybody in this in this sport in general, but especially the people that are competing in this class. I I really excited for Bryce to feel better and to come back 100% healthy and to to kind of fulfill his own goals and and pursuits in this sport and for the rest of us to to just keep moving on. This is this is the nationals that matters right now, but it's not the last nationals it's, no we're going to keep doing this for a long time most of us have been in it for a long time and even if any one meet is the big meet at that moment it's never the last one um talking about like the nationals the field the nationals because you guys are you know you're all from america you see each other whether it's at nationals arnold's or around whatever but it's the field different and gary you just came back um i mean you're at the last two worlds i know for sure uh is it a different feeling vibe when it's an international event and you have people from around the world there and uh, people are representing their nation, perhaps tensions a little higher. Is it a different vibe than nationals? Yeah. Na- nationals is a very unique thing. Ben kind of alluded to it of last year at nationals was probably the most fun meet I'd ever had. Um, and it's cause basically I get to see all my friends who I watch all year and kind of finally get to go out. We go out to dinner afterwards and have a good time. I don't know a lot of other sports where the highest level competitors get along so well, but I think it's because we're all competing against the weight, not really against each other. Um, We all want to beat each other at our best. Uh, It's like why it's good for Bryce to take some time away so that he can get to his, his limits healthy. Um, Ben says he always wants to beat me at my best and, and I want to beat Ben just no matter what. So it doesn't really matter, but that's a little different than worlds. Worlds is such a, a go and you're like, you're there for medals. You may not even PR like the goal is really to win. Um, it has a little bit different feel. And some of that's led by the coaching decisions of the coaches at worlds, but that's really what it is. If you want to go set your best PR, do it at a local meet where the pressure is the lowest and you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. That's the place to, to have the easiest PR to try to do that at worlds is pretty difficult. Um, and you want to have a good showing and not, and go for it and in theory not pass out after your third deadlift but you know it's just the way it is <laughs> this is true Gary never listens to his own advice there no, no. it's for other people that's for other people the special snowflake over here I do what I want yeah yeah. I, you know what I'm not gonna wait till I lock this out to take a nap I'm just gonna do it right here on the platform I'll come back next year and finish this deadlift <laughs> yeah it's, it's a preview a good showman always leaves them wanting more so what are you guys looking at this, um, these nationals coming up right now in the 105s? Who are you guys anticipating is on the come up? I know Joey Flex has a young guy on the come up. Um, any juniors you guys have been watching that you feel are kind of like the next generation you guys are watching in the 105s? And what are you expecting this national 105 to roll out like? Then you go first. I mean, internationally, I know that you've got Rondell just looking crazy strong, but in my, you're right, Joey's guy Mike is, is looking super strong and making so much progress. Uh, also, just a stand-up awesome guy. Um, there's just, I, I, feel, I feel almost nervous to mention anybody because it would be almost, 
almost like it's underselling everyone else. Yeah, it's just that's this true. class is really the qual the high like the quality of the one hundred five. You could say it. It's it's just it's just in this top eight. It, one or two misses from anybody could mean that anyone else could really just show up, and it's we're especially in the in the top weight ranges. You're taking attempt jumps that would significantly chunk out your total if you were to make a mistake. And the weights we're dealing with aren't like you have to be at least pretty close to doing it perfect. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's either going to look good and go well, or it's going to look horrible. And what are you doing up there? It's like there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. The weight, the absolute weights are. You you have to demand respect for every single attempt. No opener is is really all that safe. Do you, do you yeah. think um, when we had Joey Flex and Matt Gary on here, um, the, a lot of people were leaning towards Eli Burks because of that huge deadlift. Um, I mean, it's he seems uh, he's an IPF world champion as well, and he's got that that weapon that um, he can just pull for the win at the very end. Are you guys, what do you think his cap on that deadlift is? And is he probably the guy you guys are looking at as the man to beat? We're like, look, I got I to gotta try to build a total, a subtotal big enough to take him out of his comfort zone for that dead and take him out. What do you guys think? <laughs> That's not Ben's thought. Ben That's definitely not my total. Well, <laughs> no. well, Ben's got a big <laughs> deadlift himself. So Ben's got a huge deadlift himself and could dead. Do we think Eli will have the biggest dead of that day? <sighs> I don't know. Because Ben's, on said, Ben's thumb skin and Eli's we grip, make him pull? those are the two. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, he's definitely going to pull the beat if if Ben pulls more than I do and is in first position. Eli will put on what he needs to pull to beat uh, Ben. I think Eli could probably pull eight sixty off the floor, but if he can hold it past his knees and lock it out without a hand opening up, that's the question. And and his grip has been improving. He's been doing a lot of the strongman stuff. But many of his uh, his training lifts are to a little bit higher body weight. In fact, he was thinking about the 120s um, for a little while even. So I know he's been doing a little bit of a cut. He recently pulled 750 um, and just smoked it. But, again, it comes down to grip strength. Uh, but he does a lot of grip work, and he's doing a lot of sets of tons of reps with 600 and doesn't seem to have grip issues, so we'll see. Uh, ben, it's going to come down to the skin on his thumbs. I've said it before. That's going to be uh, I'll, I'll, for Ben. It'll be there. It'll be there, Gary. It'll be I'm there. On, on the floor bloody. I mean, I'm just saying it won't be there. I'm just saying. At least I won't be laying on the floor bloody and <laughs> asking what know, happened, you, where the nap time came. Pull before. But just for this meet, I'll pull less than you on my third, so I can yeah. not be your All right. That's, that's the plan. <laughs> yeah. So you you have uh, have you fully like in terms of your progress, Ben? It's been huge weights. It seems every time I look at your Instagram, huge weights are flying. Is it just um, now you're starting to grow into the 105s and you're starting to feel like this is when you can present yourself as the full package for the 105? I decided in 2016 after nationals that I was going to spend two years building into the 105s. Last year was was like I I had talked to. I had talked to my coaches and, and had the mindset of like, I've got, I've got what, 26 pounds to gain. Holy and smokes. that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough time coming up from the, you know, the, the 93 kilo class. So it's, I'm on schedule for me. This is, this is not all like I've been, I've been able to push some progress. I think not in any small part due to the style of training that I've kind of adapted with the, the live stream sort of platform. I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. I don't have any secrets. 
I'm every lift I've done in the last in the last 12 plus months has been freely available for anybody to see and, and I have to keep everything to a high standard I've just I've demonstrated how to squat and how to deadlift and even how to bench so many times in front of a live audience now that I just practiced those fundamentals while I was gaining weight and things have been going really well. I feel like I'm going to bring my best and uh, I'll continue to do that as long as I'm physically able to. So when you made this jump, and that's a huge jump in body weight, obviously, um, did you just, was it simply just increasing the, the caloric intake? Like how much, how much more did yeah, you have to I eat? Just, to- I took my macros and I ate more of them. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. So did you, like, how much more did you eat? I just more. (laughs) It's been two years. I've been bulking for two years. And so I just, I just increased, like, I took my macros and just, and just bumped them up. So I was gaining, because I think I wasn't cutting very much to 205. I was walking around around like 209, 210. uh, And then I just pretty pretty quickly got up to like 215 and then it's just been a slow pace past there i overshot it a little bit a little bit too much vertical diet plus jack in the box if you will <laughs> and then uh I, I i removed the fast food and i'm i'm walking around at like 228 229 now which is is i ate internationals last year like i i bloated myself up and was a little bit uncomfortable eating breakfast on the day that we competed last year and this year I'll probably have a smaller breakfast. <laughs> do you do you do any water cutting at all, Garrett? Not much. No, I, I weighed myself like today I was uh, 233 and so just not drinking a little bit before the weigh-in will be enough. I, I got away from the big water cut, one, because of the stress that it adds to the meat and the, like the unknown and being up. Um, but two, if I do all my training, it, that, that my belt always feels I just I think it takes more away than what I would get out of it and I never liked feeling bloated the way that I, I squat and just the way that I am it just would feel weird to try to recomp all that it never worked well so I just gave it up and I stay it between I never get higher than 235 even at my heaviest throughout the year right now because Bryce doesn't actually um, he hovers around the same like platform weight all the time as well and um, it is that kind of like when you're bigger in the gym, sometimes you see people smashing weights and uh, you were saying Eli actually is a heavier in the off season and you're not sure, is that indicative of what they're gonna bring to the platform? Is that platform weight or is that you when you have a weight class up? And it kind of takes off that intangible when you walk around that weight. On the flip side, you do see guys like for instance, Charlie Dixon at 83 kilo, by the time prime time rolls around and you guys are deadlifting, you're deadlifting against a 93 kilo guy. Like, he literally jumps a weight class as the day goes. And you're like, holy shit, now I'm competing against a guy weight class up. So it's kind of a yin and a yang, and you probably see it both. Um, in the 105, though, even Verbecki doesn't, he, he walks around under 100. He's usually under, yeah. yeah. He's very small yeah. for it. Yeah. For me, it's really about aesthetics. And both of the people you mentioned have aesthetics at whatever they do. And that would not be the case for me if I could. I won up the two, 242 once. I was not an aesthetic event, so. <laughs> oh. What? Yeah. Oh, I, I honestly have a theory. 
What's, the, what's your theory, Ben? Yeah. My theory is that you can get away with that more at the lower weight classes because the absolute weight you're lifting, the, the, like, the actual bar physics of things like bar whip and stuff like that, stabilizing it is, you know, walking out a squat above 700 pounds is a completely different experience than something that is mid-600s, and it will surprise you if you are used to having an extra inch or two on your gut to push and brace against your belt, that kind of bar whip will change your life. And Charlie's a good example. Watch when he walks out after a big weight cut and see how much the bar is wiggling and oscillating on his back. Like at a certain weight range, the, the weights don't act the same way. And I, I've, I've gone partially because of the, the live streaming and the way that I've kind of structured my relatively every week for the last, what, I've deadlifted over 700 pounds, 44 out of the last 45 straight weeks. Jesus. I haven't, haven't, haven't missed that. Where last year in the nationals, I went over 700 twice going into nationals. And so I'm, I'm more used to that. I can't imagine having a significant body weight shift and having it feel weird again. But same thing with the squat though. Like you start to walk that up comes the limiting factor. Ask Ray will tell you straight up, and especially we don't know, no one knows what the bars are going to feel like at nationals. I would not want to play around with a significant weight cut and have the weight feel significantly different because it's already going to feel significantly different in our hands and on our backs. No one has walked out a Titex version two yet. We don't know what that bar is going to feel like. Mm-hmm. It could be, it could be like an original Titex or it could be like, God forbid a Texas power bar and anybody with a decent squat is going to feel like they're standing on a trampoline. Like it's just, I, I wouldn't want to risk that in, in like the body weight ranges with some of the absolute loadings we're handling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, feel, you feel the sure, same way? True. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you see it. I, I'm just trying to think if there's any, um, one twenties, I guess there isn't a lot of guys, one Oh five to one twenty do some big cuts. Possibly. Dennis did, but hated it. I remember seeing him in the prime time last year, and he was miserable, and yeah. he and just like trying to survive. It's in those lighter, in those smaller weight classes, the ranges are smaller, and usually if you're leaner, it's a little bit easier to, to manipulate uh, water weight and things like that. I know uh, Ben Pollock made his article talking about if you're at a lower body fat percentage, it's easier for for you to make. And the water cut, because you know you have a little bit better expectation of how your body's going to respond to those sorts of things. You're not dealing with as many variables as some of us who are in the heavier weight classes and have a little bit more thickness. And there might be some other people who disagree with that, but it, it seems like the consistency is, is kind of there in terms of what most of us seem to really experience. So that's... I guess that's my theory. You know, it's interesting how, um, so you went up in body weight, uh, went up a weight class and like the weights are moving for you and your strength obviously went up with you. But sometimes it's interesting that how you do see some people, they go up in weight and it's like the laws of diminishing gains come with them where the weights go up, but not, they're, they're less competitive a weight class up. They just get chubbier, but some guys get chubbier and they get stronger. It doesn't matter if it's chubbier and they're more aesthetic a weight class below. Um, they... It's not like a correlation between if I'm more ripped, I'm pound for pound better, my Wilkes is better. It doesn't always work like that. 
why do you think there is a difference between some guys, they're more competitive if they go down the weight class, trim up, and the Wilkes gets better, and some guys, even if they're getting filling out and moving up a weight class, they, they just get like exponentially stronger and become more competitive. Like, why do you think that is such a difference between lifter to lifter? I have a theory, Garrett. Do you have an yeah, idea? I, I think I know what Ben's theory is, and I think I agree. So go go for this one too, Ben. Uh, training resilience. Some people are some people are gonna deal with more nagging discomfort and training injuries when they're leaner. I know that I, when I was walking around at like two ten, uh, I was. I was getting little aches and pains more often, things that were kind of throwing off training. I took a little, a few more steps back. When I got to like 215 to 220, I'm a little bit more resilient to my own training. I can manage more volume with a little bit more stability in, and, and not be training in pain all the time or like having to deal with, you're dealing more with discomfort and less from ouch boys. And then it, you just have to fill the weight class past that point. But I, I think that for, for every person, like once you get to, we're, we're kind of in the, the unusual situation where you don't see a lot of ripped guys. Like it'd be the exception. Kristoff is, is, you know, the freak of nature for the 105s, not the standard. Yeah. I think above like, when you hit 200 pounds as a natural lifter and you don't have some sort of like synthetic hormone who that's keeping your, your testosterone in check, uh, even at low body fat percentages, like body fat becomes necessary for like hormone regulation. It's just, it's just part of how that goes. And you're kind of going to sacrifice that plus the tendency to have, injuries that sort of like accumulate and not so much that it kind of kind of the similar situation with what was happening with Bryce not really where you're injured and out but you're hurt enough that you're not able to really push progress in some certain areas and it's it's not the case for most people but there's a lot unless you're absolutely sloppy and just carrying around useless body fat like you can use that weight <laughs> To, to help stabilize the weight a little bit more. And again, it's just a different world at a certain loading on the bar. And you can, you can see it when some of the lighter guys get up to some of those crazier weights, the bar whip and the, the way that it, the actual physics of what you're doing start to get a little bit unique. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and even on that, Ben, the way that you lift, like the way you squat can be important when you gain weight. Uh, if you're kind of a more momentum squatter or if you're actually using uh, your muscles to lift the weight, you may not be able to get past, let's say you're you're weighing 220 and you're squatting low sixes and you gain 20 pounds, but you're still squatting low sixes because you're using momentum and you're, you're losing positioning halfway up. At a certain point, those weights are just going to punish you. You can't break through certain plateaus. The reason why I've, I've had Ben try to help me redesign my squat is I took the squat form that I had as far as I could, but I could not go any further. Uh, my body couldn't tolerate it, and 7.30 seemed to be about the cap. So for me, I don't want to end my career at 7.30. I want to go to 800 and beyond. And the only way to do that is to take a bunch of steps back and change the way that you do things. Um, like Ben was saying, it's not about this nationals. It's about any nationals. 
from a pragmatic standpoint, it'd been good to know that Bryce wasn't coming. I could have just kept up with the 7:30 the way I was doing it, just kind of coasted through. It was a bad one to take a step back on, uh, but it definitely. Is, I look at it as opening the door for Eli um, and Ben to come in. Uh, Eli is. We're all right in the mix. I'm looking at his qualifying total for Eli is 860. I don't know what Ben's is. It's some hilarious 822 and a half joke nah, that he did somewhere. It was anyway. it was 850. It was 850. It would have been 865 if my thumb didn't tear it lockout. Whatever. That's fine. Yeah, it says 822 and a half right here is what I'm looking at. Oh, you're looking at the wrong one, you silly biscuit. Well, it says live roster, so I think that's the one. Regardless, uh, both of them, like, yeah, I looked at 860. That's under 1900, I think, for the total. But Eli's not an under 1900 person because he put, like, 40 kilos on his last deadlift to try to pull the win because he was waiting. So yeah. it's really like a 900 total or something like that, but it's just uh, a centimeter away or an inch away or a thumb skin not ripping off away or uh, taking a nap after your deadlift away <laughs> sort of sort of total. And so, you know, those things, those things play in, but to, to get back the way you lift and weight class can be a very important factor as well. And that's, that's so difficult. Um, ben pointed out the other intangibles of injuries or how healthy you feel. I feel good at this body weight. Like I don't, I don't snore. I can sneak, sleep without a machine and whatever. And when I started pushing up to 242 and I was actually 248 and did a water cut to that, I felt awful. I felt like I was going to die and that's only at 250. So why would I try to get up to 265 and then really 270 and then do a cut from there? And I yeah. just wouldn't enjoy that. It's like because interesting in our sport, you have guys like, for instance, when John Hack and Brett Gibbs went toe to toe, that was probably one of the biggest epic showdowns our sports ever had. But they were such contrasts when you look at John Hack and then Brett Gibbs, height, dimensions. Like, if you're trying to picture like a prototypical power lifter, um, oftentimes I picture like a, a Brett Gibbs who's like stocky and all the levers would be in proportion. So when he squats, He's not super high up, the range of motion's down, deadlift's the same, bench, everything, and he's very stocky and muscular. Whereas John Hacks, you look at him and you think like, man, he would, you, you, you would think you would fill him out and put him into like a 5'9". He could be a 93 or even a 105 for a 5'9 guy. There's a lot of 105s, 5'9", and just stock it, make him far more stocky. How do you think it is that a guy like John Hack is like that? Or would it be advisable for him to gain weight? Or do you think it wouldn't work for him? He'd have to, he'd have to try. I, yeah. I've always said, it's like, well, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's, let's go. Because we just, we just don't know enough to be able to simply look at a person and, and know. Uh, but you don't have to like put on 30 pounds in the next three months and see how it goes. Like It's a long <laughs> process that you have to yeah. decide. But powerlifting careers are long careers. It's like... Uh, you know, I plan to, if I do things right, be able to get stronger for the next seven to 10 years and still be in the open and competitive as long as I'm avoiding injury. A lot of my training is that way. So I'm not going to push super deep down into the fatigue debt like I used to train. That's a very effective way to do it, but it also has more risk associated with it. Um, and so I may, maybe another time I'll try to go up or go down. And that's what I would say to somebody else, but you have to take your time. If you're trying to do more than a pound a week, either direction, you're doing it wrong. You got to take your time with it. Uh, or it's not going to work for sure. It's just going to be weird. I don't know what you think, Ben. I mean, look at Bryce. Bryce's numbers is a 93 were like, they were strong, but when he went up to 231, they turned into something else. It was it, you like more than most of us expected. I think I've had kind of similar situation, at least with my squat and deadlift. My bench, you know, is 
ever since ever since 2007 that wrestling tournament i it will always be my my special case but uh i mean look and then you look at those guys that you mentioned even um john's gotten hurt and had to deal with a few injuries where you know maybe that maybe at that body weight you wonder you wonder how close he is to his potential maximum limit brett came off of a quad injury uh, you see a lot of these guys at these lower weight classes who are pushing those envelopes kind of maybe flying pretty close to the sun. And uh, I, I still think, I mean, I'm not, I, I would I would absolutely submit that Bryce or Garrett or Eli are all like, like this came a lot faster to them than it ever did to me. And they've been doing it for a long time too. But the only reason I'm still here is because I've been able to hold off from significant injury over 19 years of training. I've, I'm not new to this sport and I absolutely understand that it's not necessarily about how much you can push in any one training cycle. It's about how much time you limit being out of the game and on rehab and recovery. How it's, it's stringing together enough decent cycles, not over, weeks or months but over years and decades to get to your highest potential uh eventually and see how far you can push it before it's it's just no longer possible anymore is it tough because you have been in the game so long to can and, and i feel like a lot oftentimes when you've been in the game like 10 years etc it's hard to keep getting those gains like if you had to significantly change up your training or have you done much changing up in like the last two years since going in the one of fives in terms of programming to keep the gains going or have you found just not a whole lot of change it just stay in the pocket and it'll keep happening for you it, i mean there's always something to improve you no one's no one's even close to doing everything perfect and if they say that they are they're delusional i think i mean it's just it's just there's always something you can do better you can sleep better you can you can rest better you can mobilize better you can work on uh positioning and movement garrett was talking that i've been trying to help him out a little bit with some positioning things. I met up with a movement coach up in Canada. My best friend plays in the CFL and he, he kind of started working with a, a specific movement coach and I kind of revamped my approach to how to move. I don't cue the lifts anymore. I cue movement principles and combining that over the last three years with the weight gain over the last two, and just more and more volume, trying to make every single training rep count and and doing a little bit of a few other things better is just like that's all the expectation can be. And it's been working pretty well. I've I, I feel pretty confident I'm going to be bringing my absolute best ever form to to nationals. So you said so. You, you don't cue the list, but you cue movements. What do you mean by that when you say that? It means that I'm more resilient to, some, I don't, my squat stance isn't the same every time I squat. My deadlift stance isn't the same every time I deadlift. I, I'm operating from a principle of movement of here is how to move your body through space. Here's how to stabilize. You're, you're maintaining core neutrality no matter what. You're strengthening your ability to resist, uh, resist faulting throughout your core. And you're having enough at your extremities. So like this, this proximal core stability allows for 
uh, a better use of mobilization using your body more efficiently regardless of where you put your feet regardless of where you put your hands so that you're not as thrown off if on a particular day you're not as mobile as you would normally be um, Garrett might be able to give a, a better idea of kind of some of the some of the behind it but basically it's, it's kind of a center out approach to movement instead of I always set my feet in the same way and the squat has to feel the same you don't get thrown off anymore by uh, it's a little bit different in this it's it's what can I do today well I I'm better at moving than I used to be I have more core stability than I used to have I have more available range of motion than I used to have and so anything you do you just you're just more able to cope or deal as long as you're adhering to that principle of how to move my body through space instead of here's how to squat. It's like I'm going to learn how to move and I'm going to apply it to the squat and then I'm going to maintain that movement principle and I'm going to apply it to the deadlift and I'm going to maintain that movement principle and apply it to the bench press and it has been world shifting in terms of my ability to train regardless of kind of how I'm feeling because I always have now I have this deeper fundamental principle that instead of like well how's my squat feel today well how, how am I moving today I'll adjust my squat based on that yeah it's interesting because um, we we're kind of touching up on that where some people if they do a big weight cut uh, in terms of water and they don't blow out against the belt the same or they feel a little smaller or maybe they feel a little bloated um, and things change in the squat but with that principle it actually helped it would help these guys, whereas like you said, let's say like you're a little tight in the hips or whatever is a little bit off. You, if you just be like, I set my feet here, this is how I set my feet. I grab the bar here, this is where I grab the bar, and I just do it every time. But if something's mm -hmm. off and that setup's not going to work the same, you just go down with the ship. Whereas like you're saying, no, you adjust. Your, your goal is it's different. It's not just your goal isn't to set your feet like that. Your goal is to get tight and squat the best you can squat or bench or dead or whatever it is. So I guess it is true. Sometimes people just get so caught up in this is how I squat, and regardless of what's going on that day and all the other variables and factors. So kind of just refocusing, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, why yeah. are you setting up the way you're setting up? Yeah, and, and Bryce, Bryce is probably someone who would even say like strength is specific and repetition is really important. And I would agree to that, but I would say that the repetition – if it comes from a if it comes from a place that is more foundational than the specific lift, I, I, cue cue movement. Learn to move. Apply it to your lifts. You will benefit more, and you will be more resilient to no matter how your body is actually feeling on that day. That's that's kind of the the foundation here. What do you think, Garrett? Yeah, and no, I I think Ben's right, and it's the change. Like for the practical example of kind of the the theory Ben's laying out is I used to. When I initiated the squats, I would kick my hips out and go into extension with my lower back. Now, I have enough space in my hips to where my I wouldn't have the posterior pelvic tilt at the bottom of the squat where it would shift back forward. But I would end up hitting the bottom of the squat in what looked like a great position, but my lower back was not engaged. My glutes were taken out of the equation. And so the first thing that would happen out of the squat is my hips would shift backwards because my glutes aren't squeezing and tightening forward. So I'm, my knee is shifting backwards, my hips are shifting back and up, and my torso angle is changing, even though I'm maintaining a neutral spine. 
Um, and so the issue wasn't keeping my spine neutral. The issue was keeping my pelvic floor engaged, keeping my glutes tightened. Um, and I used to use like the knees out cue. Well, the knees out on the bottom doesn't keep me from relaxing my glutes. It's the wrong area. It's the like adductors rather than the glutes firing and holding together. So anybody that went, again, and I've been working on this for a year and a half, I found, found out about the issue quite a while ago, and it takes a long time to fix. It's not like, oh, I got this one new principle, and now I know exactly how to do it under maximal loads. It, it doesn't work that way. Check out Ben's Twitch. He, you work out what, five times a week, Ben? Four, time, four times a week, but I'll have bonus times to talk to people about it, yeah. And you're, you're on live Twitch TV seven <laughs> hours for each of those, seven to ten hours in the workout? Yeah. I stream, I, mean, about I, I stream about 130 hours a month talking about Damn. this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things. Like, Ben is literally a professional lifter. I mean, this is this is what he does. I called Ben to win nationals, a little tongue-in-cheek, but I called it about nine months ago because I saw how much time he was spending actually working out and focusing all of his energies into one direction, focusing on his sleep. Like I'm going to control this variable. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do all of these things. He's going to, I mean, how much have you rolled out? How much mobility work have you done this week, Ben? How many hours? I don't want to talk about it. Garrett's trying to offset the burden of expectations here. He's, I know his plan. I rolled you know, out twice this misses, training cycle. He misses Bryce. He wants Bryce to, to be right. the person to beat so he can offload the pressure so That's he can right. just go and show up. Like, I don't have your expectations. Ben is the veteran. I'm I, the ben is, guy. Ben is I not is special. I'm, ben I'm, has just ben spent 19 on years doing ben this to try and keep up. Yeah. Ben, ben was so much stronger than me when I started powerlifting. When I followed him <laughs> on YouTube, he was light years ahead of me. I was. I was stronger than Garrett. I was stronger than Bryce. And then you guys just used your whole, I don't know, genetic master powerlifting stuff to Beer show skills. up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorts of I things. Just have to, I actually have to work for everything, you sass yeah. biscuit. No one works harder than Ben to get stronger. <laughs> you know, isn't he trying his hardest? Isn't he trying <laughs> his hardest? <laughs> no, no. I Ben Ben has put in more work than I mean. I I have a lot of other things to take up my time. Like I got two kids now. I mean, it's tough. Kids are a game changer. That's where I start when you see people where you talk about weight cuts and things. It's like, well, what are the external life factors going? <laughs> do? do they get a good night's sleep? Ben's like, I'm gonna try and sleep more, and I'm gonna like, I haven't slept through a night in two years. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. That's not changing. Um, Ben's got it figured out. I think he has the, the best scenario and part of his gains. He'll say it too when he's not so defensive and on, on the nose, but, uh, him working out for three or four hours each session and being able to focus on every set and resting between them and having quality and focus on all of the sets is an important thing. If you're, if you're not focusing cues, but instead movement patterns, Working through those movements properly takes a lot of focus, and Ben has spent the time to focus. If you're like me, where I watch uh, people play StarCraft or movies or things in between, because when I'm working out, it's my only downtime that's not scheduled, it's very hard to get your mind in the right spot, but it's just different ways of doing it. And sometimes you got to do what you got to do with your life. So, um, Ben, I'll, if you want to retort that, I'll let you retort to uh, some of that. But also, you work out four days a week, and how often do you? How much do you sleep a night? Because that sounds crazy, four hours. But I'll, I'll let you tell me. No, I, I train. I train four days a week with a couple of a couple of specific mobility days in there too. 
Is it four um, hour sessions sort of like four hours a session? Is that a four hour weightlifting session? <laughs> four hours as I rush through. Like I said, I live stream all my sessions I have for the last year. I'm, I recently got partnered on Twitch from doing it. Uh, I, Which I'm, is a I big mean, deal for people who don't know. That, that's, I'm a, it's I'm a, a li- whole I'm a live blue streamer. check mark next to your name. It's impressive. It is. It's it's purple. Don't don't at me. Um, I it's uh no I, streaming streaming your workouts. I honestly don't know if I could recommend it. I have very severe ADHD, and so my entire lifting career, I've had to develop the ability to go from being completely distracted thinking about ponies and glitter to like back into like all right, don't get paralyzed by doing this squat wrong. And so I, I'll. The stream, though, will be distracting. I will, I will end up talking to the chat or answering questions. I'll stop my workout to demonstrate how to set up a deadlift in the middle of a of a of a squat or a bench press workout. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're streaming your workouts, if you're actually paying attention to to your audience, uh, a a two or three or or four hour workout will turn into a six, seven, or ten-hour stream, and there have been quite a few instances where I'll stream for ten hours. Holy shit! Ten? I thought Garrett was joking. That sounds like a huge. So you'll be lift weightlifting that whole time, though. Uh, I'll I'll be mobilizing, warming up. Sometimes I'll just be sitting here, talk, like this is my. Just give an example of what your last squirt walk. Why don't you just talk about the volume? How many sets? It was, it's also, I yeah. don't know how Garrett can get stronger when he does like two sets of two, and he's like, "I'm done for the week." Okay, how did you do that? How did I'm you do that? I'm doing like I'm doing the like general life stress. Working it makes up the other adaptation and overload. That, that's the other overload is is from the kids. Okay, that, that's <laughs> that's, that's tons of training right there. How ten sets works. of ten. Ten sets of ten right there. Now, Ben Ben will work up to a top set. Like he says, he's hitting over 650 pounds on squat like every week, usually pausing it. I mean, that's usually twice a week. He's over 600 at least twice a week, one with his pause squat day, one with his regular. Then he's got maybe like two back offsets at like a 10% drop and then like four more back offsets at like another 10% drop. I don't know how he structures it, but – it's a ridiculous amount of time, and that's just the squatting portion of the four workouts, which also have at least a bench workout, and then maybe some other stuff too, not to mention the mobility he did before and all the ab wheel demonstrations that he's done throughout and everything else that he's doing. Yeah, that's, I'm, not, that's, I'm, I'm not special. I've just spent 19 years smashing my face against this thing trying to be less bad at it. That's that's really what it is. He's the veteran, which is why I'm. I'm See, the he's doing it. He's doing it again. He's put. He's putting the burden of expectations. You're the number one ranked guy. You don't that's get just to that offload back. You have to handle that, Garrett. I'm not you have to, to carry the burden of expectation and pressure so that the rest like... of us can show up and just have a good time and lift while you're stressing in the back. And I rub your beard and pat you on the bum and say, "Go out there and give it your best, champ. You got this, boy." Do you... whatever you tell yourself. To sleep eight hours straight through without being woken up by crying children <laughs> at night. Is it eight hours? Do you sleep eight hours huh? a night, Ben? I not really. No, I take I nap if I need to. I will I will push back my day because this is my you know I do I'm strength his job. I, sassy little pickle biscuit. <laughs> I I I stream and I train my lifters and that is like the sole source of my of my income and how I, how I sustain my lifestyle, how I take care of my responsibilities. And so if I don't get enough sleep to perform well in a session or to be able to be on and engage with, with my community 
and be there for them when they're asking questions and they're they're needing help and support in their own lifting goals, then I'm not doing my job enough. And so if I didn't sleep enough, then maybe I'll have to nap and maybe I'll have to like, I have to make decisions that are going to be in service to the goals that I have set out and the person that I want to be. And so that might mean I have to like, all right, I don't want to, I don't want to push my day back, but it might have to start a little bit later. I might have to take care of some stuff beforehand so that I'm ready to, to show up. I, I, even even my off days aren't. I'm not allowed to really have off days. And, and when's the last time you took a nap, Gary? I don't know. I, I can't remember due to the memory loss that comes with uh, sleep deprivation for years of time. But and it's like, it, but here's an example. I mean, this is just you have to make it work. And it's not like like look at Ben and I. We're gonna go compete head to head, and it's gonna be like razor thin margin difference. Like. And that some of that's genetics, but some of yeah, it irritates Ben because I I mess with him because I watch it. I go in and on Twitch when I'm working out, I come in because we work out at the same time. I usually finish my entire workout by the time he's gotten through maybe a third of just his squatting. So I'll have finished my squatting and benching, and he'll have been warming up before I come in. Yeah. Um, so he, I usually send him videos. You know, I'll get to my top set. We'll have conversations. Ben's just plugging along. He's going to be streaming for the next six hours. But it's like yesterday I had to, to squash workout because I'm finishing up the, the next version of Skynet, which is a, an AI system for powerlifting coaching. Um, and it needs to be ready and done uh, for the week after nationals. And so it is now. I finished up at about nine hours yesterday. But, yeah, I got different things on work and two jobs and kids and family. And Ben is the professional lifter. He is the man at the top, the top dog, yeah. the man to beat. Is that right? Yeah. So, and so, but it, you make it work. And that's like, Ben, ben wonders, how do I do it? And it's just, I just, ben as much wonders, as how do I do it? Just, I just do as much as I can and, and get in what I can and go for it. And it's much lower volume than, than what Ben does. And it's always been less because Ben kind of, I don't know if he shot himself in the foot with the Shaco cycles he did earlier in his career and made it so he had to have that much or if that's what he always needed. But, Ben, Ben, I would die if I did one week's worth of Ben workouts. I would be crushed for the next year. It would yeah, and he terrible. knows that I would die if I unracked one of his bench press working sets. So that's the difference. Like he, he'd kill himself on my squats and deadlifts because for band mess, but it still doesn't get to what I do for my working sets. Yeah. Blaming some wrestling injury that didn't actually happen years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch out for Ben. What is? Watch out. What? The characters got to use the back source playing. I know they will. He says it's other people, but it's him. Uh, what? So do you think that there is, um, it, like, in terms of the field, Ben alluded to it a couple times here, and is it true that, like, do you prefer being the number one seed, or do you prefer when they yeah. seed in? Do you Tell me number when, one seed. How does it feel? I, it's yeah. not me. See what I mean? He can't do it. He's set himself up in this so permanent. No one has finished second more than I have. I, I no one has finished second more. I am the forever underdog. I'm getting beat by Mr. T in every Rocky movie. Okay, uh -huh. I'm, I've got the eye of the tiger. Uh -huh. I'm ready. Okay. Because it is, you know, uh, a lot of guys say they prefer to be underdogs because, it, yeah, there's no pressure that way, right? And there's more pressure on someone like whoever comes in. on in, Man, he's the top dog. I know. Yeah, he's trying right? to offset it. He's trying to offset he's it. He's very least Eli world champion. So, I mean, yeah. I've never been a world champion. Garrett's always got somebody else who's got the, who's got the burden of expectation on. He's just... I'm it's, just I'm just fighting twelve rounds, providing a great subtotal, and oh. hopefully the judges give me the the decision at the end. 
you know, when the deadlifts roll around. That might as well be the decision on the fight because I have no say at the end. I have no say. It's up to the judges. So that's how it is. I'm a forever underdog. What, uh, Ben, what, what is this wrestling injury that he, he was talking about? In 2007, I sustained a pretty significant injury to my shoulder. In 2008, I continued to play football and had 18 or 19 full dislocations. Oh, shit. My shoulder. So when people are like, I'll see it on Reddit sometimes where people will say like, man, if Ben could just figure out his bench press, his squat and his death, maybe if he just worked on his bench press, I bench press more than anybody I know. Yeah. I, I train that lift so much. I've, I've had to like, it's. Give us an example it, workout, Ben. Tell people what you're, you got to give people an understanding because they don't know what you, you do. You know what? I do. Yeah, five sets of ten? It's, we're talking about like eight, eight sets of four at like, you know, 87 percent or something like i'm i can handle crazy crazy volume and weight because it it's fine up until it's not and the shoulder the shoulder gives out yeah (laughs) sorry i can't hear you captain nap time over there (laughs) all right yikes it's 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 one of those things where it's like i've i've had i've had to deal with this this setback for the last 10 years 11 years now and I'll have people show up on, t- on stream sometimes or tell me like, oh man, if Ben just worked on his bench press, it's like, I've, I've, I've worked on it a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot better. The fact that it's gotten as close to, I, I, I fully expect to go over 400 pounds, which is not a crazy bench press, but given the history that I've been working with and how many times I've had to reset and rebuild after a re-injury of that I just have a bad shoulder and I'm trying to overcome that I don't want to use it as an excuse as like it's never can get better I fully believe I'll be able to solve it someday but it's not a simple solution it's not something that I've been able to figure out and have it click and be perfect in the last 11 years of trying with this being my sole focus and so it's it's just I'll hear people talk about it, like I don't know why Ben can't bench. Like I know exactly why I can't bench, but I don't want to lean on that as like yeah. It's, I, I don't want to resign myself to quitting and giving up and saying that it's not worth trying because I'll continue to keep trying. It's just I'm. That's what what I he's do. saying is his squat and deadlift are so amazing after his years of experience that that's how he can be the top dog even <laughs> with with uh, just two of the three legs. Two you know. of the three legs. That's quite the story. That's quite. And, uh, and Gary, you had mentioned, so tell me about the Skynet that you're devising. Uh, so it, it, the newest one I'm working, I think we can say it now. Um, it's I'm working with uh, Chad Smith uh, from JTS. And so basically what I made is I took all the coaching decisions that I have and turned that into an automated system. Uh, it's going to be coming out as an app version. Uh, it'll have a website that'll have all the metrics you'd want to see, but then it'll have a native app for iOS and Android as well. Uh, but I'm working with other coaches as well. Um, since it's patented or the patent's pending, uh, I can license it to other coaches. I think we're up to 84 quadrillion initial combinations. That's the one past a billion. It's like, like a couple hundred million per person on the face of the planet. Unique combinations of answers and decisions and that's just a start then real-time updates would take it from there so it basically just does whatever a coach would do in every situation um and that's been the last five months of kind of coding and working on that it'll be ready to go soon uh for a beta test and then it'll probably come out in app version as well 
but it basically is to get around the, the part of coaching that's not coaching, which is programming. Programming can be automated. You, if you want to know, like when people ask me, who's a good one-on-one coach, I advise Ben because nobody does a better job, in my opinion, than Ben with working with people with what a coach should do, which is to help people with movements, to help people with the advice on how to manage their life, manage their time, manage their schedule. Uh, the programming is the easiest part or at least should be if you understand it, which is why it can be automated. The difficult part is the analysis of form, though I can say we're also working on a computer visioning project that will track joint angles and tell you what you're breaking and messing up and then give you corrective uh, information. But that's probably two years uh, further out in development. But real coaches should spend less time programming having their Sunday roll around and all their clients are done with that week and then they got to go and write you know, 20 or 30 training programs in a row, which it just sucks um, and is also kind of unsustainable for their own lives based on how much they can be paid to do that. Uh, but if the programming could be taken out of it, what could a coach do if they actually spent their time coaching? And that's the next development out of this app is to have coaches behind it. The programming's taken care of, but then the coaches actually work with clients one-on-one is the consulting aspect of coaching. So that's what it is. Uh, it's kind of a long answer to a short question. Well, I think I think most coaches still spend most of their time automating their training anyway. I think that it's we're we're so saturated in the industry. I guess when it comes to even powerlifting coaching, something is ni- is is niche 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 whatever you want to call it is that the uh, <laughs> niche okay. Yeah. Um, it's the niche. So so many people so many people just do a copy paste of of some send out a month at a time and it's like you can't. The, Garrett, what Garrett's doing with the programming, uh, like where it actually makes the adjustments, I think that's the real. In our current in our current setting, in the current situation, having a coach who will adjust things like it. Programming is, is, is so anyways. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's so straightforward. You never predict when your progress is going to slow down. You never predict an injury. You never predict life stresses that are going to affect it. And so, the best coaches, in my opinion, are the ones who are tuned in or cued in enough to their lifters to be able to, to adjust and be flexible with what they're doing when something un, like none of us can can predict the future like when something comes up making those adjustments is the biggest key and if, if when Garrett's working on this thing that's going to destroy it, it templates takes, it's going to well, it takes care of that it takes yeah. it does a better job of that than than even a lot of coaches do yeah, it, so, it is a better programmer than most coaches could be because it, it will adjust every workout day of. You would need the coach to literally be in the room with you every time you have a workout to do what it does. What? Not to mention it would take eight eight or nine hours of work to just set up the, the plan and the first block. And then each block is informed by the check-in. So you'll get four weeks at a time, but as you enter subjective input for how you feel on the day, it will adjust the plan. And based on your subjective inputs across a four-week period, it will alter the original plan that it's set up to begin with um, based on trends that it's seeing within your your inputs. There's injury recovery protocols. I mean, if you get injured with a coach now, they basically say, well, stop that lift till you feel better. And then they'll, they'll maybe like just put you right back into the plan. This has got uh, a month and a half worth of injury recovery protocols. Once you're feeling you can start lifting, it will start you and then push you through for the individual lifts. And it, it just does more than coaches do unless you were paying like probably around 200 bucks for a coach to program for you. Yeah. Um, 
And so, and it doesn't, it's, it's a, it's a dollar a day. Cause I wanted it to be affordable for anybody. If you can't afford a dollar a day, you probably shouldn't be lifting either. You should be working because that, that's tight. That's um, tight, sir. That's tight. <laughs> that's a tight, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's to get around that and let people like Ben do what Ben does. Um, I've seen what Ben does and he, you're not sending out even four weeks. Ben's sending out week at a time to his people as far as I know. Sometimes say at a time, depending on how long the streams go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I say Ben's a real coach. Um, it's not a stock template that's being pushed out. And we've kind of deviated away from raw now. Yeah. We're supposed to be saying mean things about each other, Jerry. Get back on track. Yeah. Ben's a terrible coach. I can't believe yeah, that. Jerry's Never beard is awkward and weird, and he's got glasses. What a nerd. <laughs> yeah. his stream and start distracting him during his top sets, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Get in there. Make him make him go twelve hours instead of eleven. That'll throw him off. <laughs> that's but, right. But but that's what it is. So there's gonna be more information on it. But that's my my soapbox on coaching. And it's not again. And it's not because coaches are want to do that. Um, I don't think coaches want to be bad coaches and just spit stuff out. But you just can't. It's like if if I I have one on one clients. I've got things prepared for them so that I can move through nationals. But if I'm a coach who doesn't know how to use anything other than Word or Excel and I'm just writing stuff out, yeah, that's Ben. Ben's I have a call out. All right. That's yeah. Um, then when I have my meet, I, I'm like, how are my clients going to get stuff? And I'm, I'm trying to do that. It's just going to be bad work. Um, and that's not because they don't want to. It's just that's a time-intensive process and you can't get enough money to live on with just that. That's why you don't see too many old coaches. They age out. They go get other jobs. They have families. They need health insurance. They've got all these other things. And the margins are kind of razor thin for a lot of these people. Mm. Um, and, and, so, the more, and the more you push for the business, the less you're able to coach effectively. The more, the more athletes you take on, the more lifters you try, to, you try to deal with, the more of yourself you're having to put in. If you are actually a lifter, your own lifting will suffer from the amount of time that it takes just to take care of them. Or you're going to start... Cutting corners and and then and then your lifters aren't getting the attention that like if, if you if you're paying someone to to help you through it like it's it's nice to to be there for the lifter and to help them through it instead yeah. of just sending off a thing of, of without any thought or whatever it's just most people yeah. don't even know what they're that what they're getting is so is is just so far below what they what they should expect of themselves and of the people that they're hiring to help them through this journey. Do, do yeah. you guys think this is like the, the wave of the future for powerlifting is going to be AI automated coaching? Like, do, is it, will yeah. it become a point where computers it, it basically be. can do the job better than humans can anyways? By seeing uh, all the factors For, for pieces of it. For the programming piece, yeah, yes. Programming. Because you know the decisions you make when someone's injured with X injury, or you know the decisions you make if they've got, you know, they're 16 weeks away and they're wanting to gain weight, so you're going to have it slide a little bit more towards a hypertrophy for the first part uh, than strength. But if it's an elite athlete at the top of their weight class, um, well, then you're going to do this. And the reason why that... It basically, it, those people listening who are familiar, Chad, uh, Chad put out a book with Mike Isherton and some other people called Scientific Principles of Strength Training. This is the automation of that entire book. It's like, I think it's a 300 and some page PDF book. They can find it on this website, uh, JTS Strength. But this takes every principle. So it, it assesses your maximum recoverable volume 
based on questionnaire answers. But then based on what you actually do, it adjusts how much volume you can recover from. It looks at minimum effective volume, the the minimum amount to affect a change. It changes periodization strategy. For newer people, it might be linear increases week to week. For the most advanced, it might be undulating where you wave through like a heavy day, later in the week a light day, next week medium day, then heavy day, and so on. And it'll undulate like every week and a half you're having an overloading or alternating or any number of different periodization styles. Changing uh, exercises based on weak points because, you know, in this phase, 20 weeks away from a competition to deal with a quad weakness, you're going to do X. But when you're eight weeks away from a comp, you're going to do this exercise and it'll set up different sets and reps and percentages or RPEs depending on the types of exercise. And, And the list goes on, but coaches know those decisions. And what coaches can do is they can tell me and then I can systematize that into a logic that's simply applied to people. And then if you want to work with that person, you don't have to spend an hour writing their program. You can spend an hour answering their emails, going over their video, recording an answer to their questions, and actually what I would call coaching a person. Mm. The form does seem to be – you can give form correction and advice in an automated format. That's being developed now. It's basically like if you watch Lord of the Rings or video games, they do motion capture because they've got little dots on their shirts or whatever. Well, now you don't need the dots on your shirt. The computer just recognizes that's where your shoulders, your wrists, your elbows, and whatever are. And it just watches you move through space. And depending on how the joint angle comparisons and the lines are adjusting, um, it's going to know what form issues you have. I mean, if your knees cave in, that's not that hard for a computer to tell you, well, yeah, when your knee, the, the dot that's at your knee moved like this on the way up as your hips are rising. Or if here's where the bar is and here's where your hips are, if that distance is adjusting as your hips are rising faster than the bar and your knees are tracking backwards, it can tell you that and yeah. in an intelligible way. So that all can be done. Ken, hey, I just broke up with my girlfriend and my dog died and I, you know, it, Well, I mean, you can maybe tell that your life stress is high for whatever reason, but there may be things where you need like, hey, you need to take an entire week off of training and just just go chill out and go like you need to go fly to see your family. Or uh, for Ben's most recent situation, I just moved uh, 20 days away from nationals and, and just carried all my stuff to a new place. And now I have a little bit extra fatigue. Again, it can do something, but there's always an aspect of a coach uh, to assist in that. There's intangibles and there's style. And that's why there's not just one AI system that would ever rule the world. Because coaching can be personality-based and programming can be personality-based. Do you like top sets with RPE drop sets? Or do you like like a Russian volume, like more sets than reps? I'm doing 10 sets of two at 65%. Uh, there's stylistic options. All of them can work. All of them have worked. But what works best for you, what works best for the person with no time in their schedule, what works best for the time uh, when you're the top dog, Ben Rice, streaming on Twitch 40 hours a week. I mean, there's different systems. But, uh, yeah, so I do think it will replace templates for sure. It's already going to do that. It won't put coaches out of business. It'll let coaches do what they are actually supposed to do and take the annoying part of their job out of it. Um, and also the part that's most annoying for clients, because when you're waiting on your training, you don't know what to do. And basically anyone who's hired a coach knows that feeling Monday morning when you still don't have it. And you're like, uh, I have a workout today. What's going on? Yeah. Every Everybody knows that. And even the best coaches get swamped sometimes. It just happens. Um, not to mention that they have to track and know if they're working with 30 people who gets what, what weeks. And that's its own accounting irritation and nightmare um, besides billing and all that sort of stuff. This so, is, is there is there uh, any, 
do other coaching services already have these type of AI programs and metrics they use, or is this the first nope. one you know? Nobody. This is the first one. No one. No one's close. Uh, the closest would be something like my strength book, which is templates that are created and maybe there's 12 templates and you can select which template you get. Uh, this is, it's kind of like how Ben was talking about cues, like templates are kind of like pick which cues to focus on. And then you think about that. This is more like, what are the principles a coach uses in training? And then it allocates it to the client again, just based on the questionnaire combinations, there's 84 quadrillion, which is a couple hundred million per person. So if I had every person on the planet taking the questionnaire, each person would have to fill it out uniquely compared to everybody else a hundred million times to encapsulate all of what's in the possibilities. This is nuts. Not a, I can't even wrap my fucking head around. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's why my head hurts and why yeah. Ben is the top dog. You crush yeah. the numbers and that's what it means. <laughs> but, uh, and so it's not like some people will tell you everything we do is unique. Well, that's because they put your name in the template. Like when you fill out the questionnaire, you type in your name and it puts your name in there. And that's why every thing is unique. Like there's all sorts of sales things that are out there. Not every one of the 84 quadrillion combinations will create a substantive change, but I think every 10,000 of them, it does. I did the math with a mathematician just so I could know for my own benefit. And that's where it's like, you're going to have less volume in one than the other, because you got, not only are you this tall and weigh this much and have trained this many years and are this old, now, enough of those are a little bit of different that we're going to give you one less set to start than we would have otherwise on squats and whatever. I, I don't know. I'm just it, it's a hypothetical example. But then as you actually use the program, if you're like, hey, I'm, I feel great. I'm having a bunch of low fatigue pre-workout ratings. It'll push you back as though you had answered differently because it's tracking based on subjective feedback. The you're going to have a starting point for every athlete. But then you have to track what they actually do. And that's what's so hard for a coach. How many coaches look at how fatigued you were every day that you went in yeah. and then average that over your training block and keep a running average and then adjust the amount of work that you're doing based on that? I don't know any coaches that do that because the amount of time would be insane. People would have to pay like four or $500 a month to offset the amount of time it would take a coach so that they could pay their bills. It's just not, it's not even marketable at that point. And it's why AI will, will be better not only than templates, which it's already – it destroys templates. There's no, It's categorical differences. But it also will start to replace the need for a coach to program. However, there are intangibles that I call actual coaching, um, where the coach is working with you, is talking with you, is explaining things to you. It's like I have no way for the AI uh, athlete psychology component. Like you get meat nerves. You need a person. I don't have that. The system where the computer can talk you off the edge um, and be like, don't take a heavy single four days out. You don't need to prove that you can do stop. It. I don't have it able to do that. A coach can and a coach will know those things. Um, what I think it can do is house a singular place where you, you have athletes who are not taking up this time with programming where a coach can coach or they can be put in touch from that coach referred like you would have in like a healthcare organization to a sports psychologist that's part of the team and that they meet with them at an appropriate time. And so I think that's where the future is going with the way technology works. Um, it will be better for everybody, better for the coaches who can get their lives back and actually do what they're passionate about, which I'm sure is not writing out programs and spreadsheets. I'm sure that's not the part of coaching that they love. Um, 
and they can actually work with people and free them up to do that and do so in a better way at a cheaper cost that benefits the client and the coach and the market generally. So it's a, that, that's, that's my goal. Anyway, sorry, I've been on my soapbox. I've been on my business soapbox <laughs> I, here today. You're a sales pitch complete. I got yeah. two, two questions. It's a sales pitch. Impressive. If, if you go to Twitch, you'll see Ben's sales ability, and uh, they're the best sales pitches I've ever seen. Have you heard of Amazon Prime, boys? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got two questions with that. Uh, sure. So number one, will it tell you, like, is it based off of RPE, or will it actually give you weights to use, and will it be ranges within a weight uh, to use? And two, 84 quadrillion possibilities ran through the system, and all of them came back. True or false, Ben is number one on top dog. That's that's correct. That's yeah, correct. that's yeah. the Skynet told me, and it, it said that uh, I made a mistake. Don't I encourage it. Myself. Don't it encourage it. Kids. It meant kids, and so yes, it, it did tell me that. But it also <laughs> formulated the plan of uh, you're going to do two sets per week on squats and and still have a chance to beat Ben. And right? I said, okay, I can I can fit that into my schedule. Um, as far as the RP, it depends on the exercise. So let's take, let's say you're in an early block that's hypertrophy based and you got belt squats. It's not going to be percentage based belt squats because it's the type of an exercise that would be RP based. In an app version, it'll probably end up actually tracking what your estimated max on belt squats would be after a period of time. And then it will actually give you a range of percentages. For the exercises that are range based, which is some of the percentage based exercises, it might be like 65 to 70%. And then next to that, it'll tell you numbers and let's say your 65 to 70% is like uh, 200 to 220 you would type in what you used whether it was 200 to 10 to fit whatever and then it will tell you what that percentage actually is oh that's 67% and then it will populate back offsets based on that or in a peaking block we might have a very specific percentage it might be like we want you to do a single at 93% not 90 to 95 we want it at 93 and then it'll be just one percentage and one number, and you do that number, and then back offsets may or may not be created. Sometimes there's back offsets, sometimes there's not. Just like a real coach, uh, there'll be RP, there'll be ranges, but it will certainly calculate it for you. And not to knock on Ben's word ability, but yeah, you'd never get a percentage that didn't then also tell you the numbers um, that you were supposed to do. And then you would just type in what you did over it. I tell the system so people know what to type into. It changes the font. It turn, the numbers turn red and are uh, bolded and italicized so that they know to type over that. Then after they type over it, the number turns not red. It yeah. goes back to dark gray, um, and everything else is auto-generated. On top of that layer, if you put in that you were more fatigued or less fatigued that day, the amount of drop on the back-offs would change. And if it's to do it at an RPE 8 and there was a question mark and you put in what you did, it asks what was the actual RPE because maybe you overshot and you hit a 9, so you need to tell it that. And if you put in a 9, then the back-offs would be bigger than they would have been if you said, oh, I actually undershot it. I was supposed to do an 8. I did a 7.5, and, and it would put the back-off sets closer to the top set and so on. Just, again, like a coach, if they were in there, you're like, that looked a little easy. Let's take off 7.5% instead of 10% because you undershot it. But it was close enough. I don't want you to do two top sets because yeah. that's – what was in there. So all of those sorts of considerations are, are taken in um, just like a coach would, because it does what coaches do programming wise. Hmm. Um, a quick question here. So you guys obviously leading into the nationals, what weight class are you guys anticipating will be one of the biggest battles in terms of men's and the women's? Is there a couple battles you guys got your eye on for myself? I think one of the most intriguing, obviously the one of fives, but um, what do you guys think about the 83s? 
for the men, 63 for the women. And is there any others that you guys are really keeping your eye on? Ben, you want to go first? Well, I'd I'll say the, the 83s are, are got everything. Like, I it's mean, all gotten pretty close. <laughs> it's, there's, there's a few classes that kind of have, you know, like Bonica gonna Bonica, right? Like there's some classes where it's pretty much locked in, but... Man, that chip battle between between Calhoun and Thompson and everybody and the ladies. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talk with all these like really high close battles. There's going to be battles throughout the entire weight class. We have so many lifters coming here, and like maybe it's just my everybody love everybody approach to this this kind of thing. Anybody who doesn't get talked about on these kind of podcasts, like if you're going and you're competing. Thanks so much for doing this. Like those that we, we talk, there's so much, there's so much focus put on the people that are, that are, have the higher rank totals going in. Those matchups are, are going to be, you know, exciting seeing the 93s go head to head with Ashton with a, with something to prove David with something to prove chance coming up in the morning session and battling. Like there's so many people that, that I know personally that I want to do well um, if you're not in the in the top, you know the top eight of each of those getting those primetime focus. Please know that like you guys are still the sport. This sport is not the number one, two, three, ten guys. This is this is so many people bringing their best, and it there's just get bring your best, bring your best, and and take the most from it. I'm really excited to see those those primetime slots. I'm really also excited to see the 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 am flights and people who are who are living out their passion for this silly thing we do of moving a weight not taking it anywhere and then feeling awesome about it and and growing as people so like that's i maybe that's my pc answer of not wanting to not wanting to put my money on anyone when battle, you're at the top, you have right. to be politically correct. Here he goes, here he goes every single time. Well, <laughs> if you guys have to pick. For um, or and maybe Gary, you're more comfortable picking. Who are you picking for some of these showdowns? Because there's some really cool 93s, 83s, 63s. So tight. so here's my politically maybe incorrect. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick, but I'll go another direction. Is that just qualifying totals are BS. They don't <laughs> necessarily mean anything. Ben is the best example of that. Trying to be top dog, but be underdog and claim. Eli, so. we're still we don't think we're forgetting about you, Eli. Okay, he's giving me too much credit he's right he's now. He's saving lives. He's like in the ER right we now, you, saving Eli. people's lives. Probably. We love you, Mikey D. We love you, Garrett Bailey. We love we love you, Joseph Amendola. We love you, Chad Schroeder. We love you, Shane Cepak. We it's love you, Joey really Flex. He doesn't know your names, by the way. I know your names. I care about you. <laughs> so, yeah. No, even with our – even like, let's take the 105s because uh, I know them the best. And, I again, I don't spend a ton of time just looking at all the different classes and everything, maybe as much as I probably should. I follow people on Instagram. Like, I know Russell and I know uh, Sean, and I just like – but their qualifying totals is like, what's going to happen day of? I mean, there could be a swing any given direction, you know, five or 10% on their totals if they miss two of their thirds. Yes. I mean, it, it's like, and they might miss it just a little bit. It might be like a soft knee on a deadlift or like Sean gets pulled forward when he pulls and he's just a slight tiny bit off. Or uh, somebody gets called on depth, like Russell mm. gets called on depth for his third and makes like crushes the squat, but gets called. Yeah. I mean, 
it, it could go so many different ways, and some of it, it really will come down to like it could come down to a judging decision on on some of the stuff on what it. And it may look like, oh man, there was a twenty kilo gap. It's like, yeah, he missed a, a twenty two and a half uh, kilo jump because uh, they said he had a soft knee on his deadlift, and yeah. he had it, and we all thought it. It's like. It, there's so many people where it could go. And then if you have an off day, it's like, who? where's Becky, the machine at Worlds, like unbeatable. It's like he got crushed. He got stomped on at last Worlds. And, yeah, he, he flew in late. He was up all night the night before, and his training had been kind of off leading into it. He'd gone silent on his training. And it, that can be basically anybody. And you could just have a bad day. You could sleep on your hotel bed, and it could be hard, and there might be a spring in your back. And you wake up, and your back is a little funky. Well, there goes that 100%. You might be off uh, 0.025%, but guess what? That means you don't make the third that you had, and that yeah. means you lost 25 on your total or, or 20 or 17 and a half or whatever it might be. And so, like, there's so many battles that when I see people that are even within, like, 30 kilos of each other or 40 – I'll look to see like, well, did they go nine for nine when they made that total? Or are they putting in a sandbag total that they did where they only took their openers as thirds like Ben did? Because, I mean, it's just like, you don't know. It's just, you don't know. If you looked at the totals, you'd be like, oh, Garrett's going to crush the other 105s. And for me, I know that it's going to come down to who makes all the attempts. If any, if Ben or myself miss one attempt and Eli goes nine for nine, he wins. Then if we all miss one attempt and we're all eight for nine people, that opens the door for anybody else in the class, basically. You don't know what Garrett Bailey's going to pull. You don't know what Mikey Davis is going to pull. He's got the hook grip going, and so he's probably going to be able to hold on to it better. That His grip has held him back for a while, and that's not the issue anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. going to be like, wow, what happened to your deadlift? It's it's 30 kilos higher than it was. like, yeah, because I went to hook, and now I can hold on to it because I've, I've been able to pull 800 for the last however many years. Um, Screamer Manuel was that way with his deadlift, like these crazy giant deads, but he had a weight cut thrown in there as well, and I think Mikey has a bit of a weight cut too, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, like Garrett Bailey too. I know his his qualifying total is not, is not reflective of his last actual qualifying total. He had a sandbag total at a at a local meet in Texas that didn't it's not going to show up on the radar because he missed weight by eight pounds um and so like he's you know i'm not i'm not sleeping on wasn't that like on anybody or what do you remember what that total was i think he did 850 i think he did 852 and he like he left something in the tank i think he i think he just like intentionally scratched on one of his lifts but he missed weight by four kilos so it doesn't count towards his qualifying total and the yeah. placement. I know that you and you and Eli both your your qualifying totals are from 2017. Um, like it's just my I'm highest not, one. Man, my highest one, just to make sure people know this underdog yeah. has a chance. Yeah, it's 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 just one of those things. The qual anything can happen on the day. That's why we have the competitions, right? Like we can. Yeah, it's not your best gym lifts from the last three months. Yeah, and it's and it's not even like your your best competition total from something that was you know 20 minutes from your house where you had 15 people in the class and no pressure so you could take attempts that you wanted to take yeah uh, the prime time is a unique situation too where we're going to be weighing in at night a lot of lifters aren't used to that even people who are pretty experienced with the sport we only have prime time once a year like all your other lifting and meat experiences are going to be very different from what the prime time is like i know for us on sunday for the 105s, the 120s, and the 120 pluses, there's only eight of us per class. That's 
that's one person misses weight and can't compete. One mercy, one person gets hurt. Like one person just takes less time to set up on their squat. Like those rest periods get real short. Yeah. And if you're if you're opening a little bit closer to the sun to try and have a try and have a chance, maybe you don't come back with as much as much time to recover from something. Maybe you're you're best in your own environment of your training environment or your own comfortable meat environment is totally different. Maybe you're uh, I know I got really thrown off in 2016, the first the first prime time for Raw. My weight, like I've never had to really do a water cut in the USAPL. I used to I used to do some pretty aggressive water cuts when I was doing 24-hour weigh-in competitions, but that was the first time. Like I showed up to prime time weigh-ins, I'm a pound over. I had to spit out a pound. I had to rehydrate with with like I weighed in the last second that I possibly could and was on weight exactly gave myself a chemical burn on my tongue from spitting out sour patch kids and and had like was having cramping issues and and couldn't get myself rehydrated before we started lifting like you never know when something like that is going to throw you off because if you're used to going to bed on weight and you know I know I'll lose this much and then I wake up yeah if we're not lifting till later in the day and then the other classes who were you know the prime time it's a it's a competitive advantage because you get to know what everyone else during the day put up, but it's also there there are parts of it where you you're gonna have everybody focused in and zoned in on that. If you're not ready to deal with that, if you're not ready to deal with all eyes on you, how are you gonna cope with the pressure? Have you have you performed and executed on these big stages before with everyone paying attention and watching you and having someone give commentary to a live stream of people? Like as you're doing that, there's so much more than just who is the strongest lifter. I think Matt Gary and Joey would would both have probably said this on that podcast. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm. It's not necessarily who the best, who the strongest lifter is. It's who's the best lifter on that day, who puts together the best total, who brings together the most attempts, and and can execute those, and and put up the most they're capable of on any particular day. So I, maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm not as as keen to like theorycraft of like, oh, here's what's going to happen. Or even because if someone made a mistake in the past, you know, maybe that's been the focus of it. Maybe if, you know, Russ got called on on squat depth at the Arnold, maybe he's been he's been focusing in on that more. And all his back offs are so low to the ground where it's completely unquestionable. And like on the top sets, it's, you know, then the, the scope of the rest of the work he's done, you know, maybe, maybe Sean's not popping the clutch so much on his deadlifts where he, where he's, he's pulling his opener so fast that he loses his balance. Like maybe he's, he's been focusing on that because it was an issue before. Like there's so many, you know, Garrett said, Mike with his, his, his grip, he switched to the hook grip and he's looking crazy strong. Maybe like there's so many of these th- things that we could have been working on. So it's fun to theorycraft and it's fun to do that, but that's, that's why we have the competition is to see who actually shows up and what, what actually happens. I'm not Garrett. Garrett can sass all he wants to. I'm still going to hold the burden of expectation and pressure on him to he's got, a, he's like, got the biggest show. Like he's not like home state or anything, and he's just got like you know right next door basically. You know, it's not oh, like it's a six-hour drive for me, baby boy. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. You remember what happened the last time you had to drive from California to Nationals and how that went for you? Okay, yeah, yeah that's right. That's what Keep you are there, nappy boy. 
Yeah. Well, I didn't nap that time, but Eli did keep me from bombing out that meet. He was, that's where I met him. That was in uh, Colorado. And I drove there from California through the middle of the night, like three days before, but three days is not enough for a 26 hour drive. Wow. Uh, Yeah. That was, that was uh, a doodle right there. Yeah. So Nick, Nick Tyluki won that year again. So good for him. <laughs> That's what they did tight Eli's deadlift down enough. Eli would have won that year probably, but the, uh, the weight slipped off on his deadlift. Um, and they had to give him, you know, like two minutes or whatever reset and then go again. You don't have two third deadlifts. No. And he wasn't even mad about it afterwards. That's the crazy thing about Eli is he's just like, nah, whatever. Eli is the man. So and he, guys, he's going to be both. Did you guys see, uh, Russell or he's uh, 650 squat double. <laughs> Double, Double yeah. 650. Are we going to see an 83-kilo guy, not this Nationals, but in the not-too-distant future, squatting 700 pounds, which is we, absolutely mind-blowing? So here's the, the reason why it's not mind-blowing and why I just say the 105s need to step up their game. And the one reason is just Dennis Cornelius. You look at what Dennis squats, you look at what the 105s squat, and you know that the 105s are not squatting appropriately to what they should. And that's just all I'd say. It's why when I was squatting 730 and I've hit my cap and I can't move anywhere else, and I'm just like, this is kind of pathetic. That's how I, I'm not trying to downplay anybody else, but I feel bad about my squat. It should be much better to be competitive. It needs to be at least 800. And you should, you're gonna, the person who should be the, the top of the 105s in the current modern era should be you know, an 800-ish squatter, uh, an 825 puller, and probably a 550 bencher. Jeez. And I I don't know who that's going to be. I'm maybe in 7 years that's me if I learn how to deadlift, but that's that's the way I see it. And you should absolutely see probably like a 720 or more squatter uh, out of the 93s if you just cut some of the height off. They shouldn't be as tall as the 105 individual that I'm talking about. Uh, you get somebody shorter that has better leverages and they should be able to squat 725. They should be able to pull uh, in, in the eights, you know, or at least close to eight and benching probably lower at that point with body weight being a bigger, a bigger tell. But yeah, I, I see no reason why they shouldn't be high force. And that's where I think that should cap out. Cause it wasn't, that's my, that's my personal opinion. I mean, it wasn't long ago. I remember um, commentating for the 2016 IPF worlds and you had like two guys, uh, Brett, and um and hack who are squatting in the 600s but there wasn't in the world there was very few 83 squatting in 600s now you look at just u.s nationals not worlds almost everybody squats in the 600s well sometimes u.s nationals is harder than worlds i'm just gonna put that it's certainly the case for the 105s nationals is way harder than worlds you think so um if, if the top two, the top ice? two guys from our yeah i it's that's just one guy it's harder to well, finish as well though. uh Hunt yeah, too. finishing second is just as difficult at nationals as it is at worlds. That's how I would say it. Um, and so we have people here, like anybody, Bryce, who has beat Kristoff. If I can get healthy, I like. I never thought Kristoff was the machine. He had a lot of he had issues. His squat, how hard his squat would be, would take away from his deadlift, and his bench was very uneven and always a weak point for him. Um, and so he had a great deadlift, but that was my weakest point and the easiest thing to, to move up. I hope he comes back at some point. I would like to beat him on a day that mattered. When I like the victory over him this last year is not a victory. He had a bad day. Mm. I don't think, and I'm not. I don't want to take away from Bryce. Bryce won. Bryce is the the world champion. 
but none of us had our best day, including Bryce. And so I just say that to say you've got three people who have their worst day and they place at Worlds. If uh, Ben and I and Eli have our worst day, we may not place top three. There could be somebody that takes us. And that's why I say uh, national U.S. nationals, at least in the 105 class, is harder in the world. I certainly see it now. You mean like from um... – yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. Like the depth is yeah, instead, instead of having some one guy to chase, it's not yeah, like, yeah, like, like you know, Taylor Atwood, Atwood who could have his worst day. It's not like old yeah. 93s where Jesse Norris could show up, and as long as he got his openers and at least a second, he's probably going to win, yeah, you know, yeah. even after his shoulder injury and, and like, going into 2016 Nationals and stuff. Like, there's there, there's certain classes that have that have the range of the – the depth instead of the one standout guy, you know, like it, like a Dennis Cornelius or a Ray Williams. It's like, there's no one really close at the national level in terms of, in terms of that depth. But then when you go to, to worlds, there might be well, it's there's a few other, I mean, and, and it's every year it gets even crazier because the expectations are going up. And I wonder if that's another thing that's driving the progress of those where it's sort of the same, the same sort of thing that happened with the four minute mile where it was impossible until someone did it. And then a lot of people do it yeah, <laughs> kind of a thing. It's still, it's still impressive. It's yeah. still crazy impressive that there's 83 squatting in the 600 pound range, but it's no longer unheard of. And so I think we already do have 93s who are squatting seven. You know, like Ashton's Ashton's done it. Uh, it's, if he can get if he can get it to depth, then he'll he'll do it at nationals, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And so, because that's what happened last year, he squatted seven seventy seven, and then and then did seven oh five and missed it on depth. Mm-hmm. And like, there's there's uh, you know David Wilson can pull eight hundred in the ninety threes. Um, Jesse did before he got popped for the stimulant in his pre-workout that, that erased a few of his records kind of yeah. a thing. Like there's, there's people that are doing things that are unheard of right up until they're right up until someone does it. And it kind of opens the floodgates. Maybe there's something holding people back with human expectations. You know, maybe there's, there's something that's happening with the, the one Oh fives haven't, haven't found that yet for the number, the, the monster that Garrett is envisioning with this, who is is an AI brain? Maybe I don't know how how that's yeah. gonna. Skyman says it can be me if I get rid of my replicants. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not willing to do it. I think also the uh, the the talent pool is swelling every single year. If you look at the number of powerlifters, whereas like just I mean just like four years ago, we were a fraction of the talent pool we have now. So with more sure. people coming, we're pulling in people like the Russell Orhees who might have gone to a different sport. Or, um, you know, so just from that alone, the sheer numbers we're going to see. Now, the big thing will be if anybody can ever come into here and give Ray a run for his money. I mean, I don't, it's, it's tough to fathom, but. Yeah, no, I mean. A, it's got to be somebody with a big bench. That's, that's the piece. The big bench, big deadlift, maybe a little bit lower on the squat or something. Or, or, or a little bit lower on the deadlift, better on the bench, good with the squat. Um, maybe a little bit more short-armed individual. But his only weakness is his bench. And yeah. Yeah. no no one sees no one sees it coming until it happens. I didn't know Jesse Norris existed until he showed up and you're like, who is this guy? How? How? How are you? How yeah. did, like it's the opposite with Garrett. Garrett gets strong without doing anything. Jesse managed to do everything. And you're like, how did he survive that? So, Garrett gets yeah. stronger without doing anything. I love that. It's true. It's accurate. Yeah. But it is um I know what you guys mean where um the U.S. Nationals, the depth of, whereas in terms of the IPF Worlds, 
Let's take the 83s, for instance. Um, if you chopped off Brett Gibbs, you're losing the world champion. So you would think, well, I mean, the U.S. Nationals can't be more competitive than the world's. But at the top end, you have basically the podium, and there's a big stretch off the podium. Whereas the, the U.S. Raw Nationals, my God, every single dude in the top seven squats over six, well into the 600s. You got guys like Rob Ali, who might not make top five, just squatted 650 in the gym like an RP8. And that's where the U.S. World Nationals might not have the one or two like Verbecki or Gibbs, but in terms of depth, from one to 10, what you guys were saying is so tight. Uh, you miss one lift and it's a huge shakeup. Yeah, where, where does the eighth standards. place finisher, yeah, finish in Worlds? That's like I think the, we're, what is it, we're using the Carpesian, yeah. I think, yeah. system for, so for, instead of using the Wilkes coefficient for uh, people to qualify for, for seeding for Worlds, for, it's it's comparing your finish to the top finishes in the world. Like, you look at, you look at Worlds last year, um, you know, the, the 105s, most of them had kind of an off day in terms of what their expectations were. And then you look at, like, Rondell in the juniors who, you know, should have Frightening. Would have gone open, like, what would have happened? It could have been a completely different story. So, and this, and you never, you just never know. Like, and he you know, even had a little bit of an off day. His last, uh, yeah, his last pull. His, his, and his last squat was, he had some issues with squats and some other stuff. But, yeah, it's... It, you know, he chose for whatever reason. I thought he was going to go open. I was actually looking forward to compete against him. And I looked at the roster and I saw he wasn't, but he could have. And who knows? Who knows what other people do in response? Sometimes people rise to the occasion of competition as well. Yeah, it just, true. it just depends. And like for me, and I think it's even though my poll pales in comparison to the top dog and Eli, um, I still I like to go out there and I lay it all out. I mean, I look at what I I know what they're capable of. I look at what I need to win and I'm going to go for it. It's always why I'm kind of like shortening my life by 10% every time I do a third deadlift these days. So it but is just we, we gave Garrett some breathing exercises to hopefully try and keep him awake this time because he keeps he keeps making his wife all nervous every single time he naps mid lift. So we're trying to get him to work through that. I don't want to I don't want to beat him because he fell asleep. That's <laughs> <laughs> he wants to beat me just straight up but anyway yeah and so but that's the thing and that's why i say about qualifying tolls and that's why i say about this but who would what would be the worst thing that could possibly happen is that the 105s be like um uh, the 120 pluses and just one far and away ray williams character if that was me or if that was ben and no one else basically just take us back in time four or five years to the first nationals and give us our current numbers. I can't imagine anything worse than that. No, um, for sports, I, 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 there's nothing more dry in sports when one team shows up and obliterates the other basketball team by 50 points or the other football team by 30 points, and you're like, this sucks. It's not, yeah, that's not what sports is. If no one believes they can hang, too, it's like how hard are they going to push themselves to in their own training, how – how, how far are they going to be able to go? I think that the depth of field for for our class and for many other classes are are going to continue to reinvest that depth of field. It's going to continue to, there's people who are fighting for 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th place to, to try and push each other to get better. And I think that the, the, the size that it's gone to, like the size that Raw Nationals has grown to, a lot of people were really 
had a lot of negative things to say about some of the choices being made about nationals this year. Um, but it's still, it's still got a crazy amount of lifters going. And so like, that's, that's not accidental. That's, that's something that's to consider in all the lifters, the standards are going higher. The expectations are, are constantly going higher. And I think, I think it's good for the sport that we're pushing each other. I think that, that the idea that there's, there's a spread that's like some, even a guy who's up there, who's crazy strong, you still kind of feel like, yeah, I think I can, I think I can get closer. I think I can get closer. And as long as that's still there, that's how we push feel, themselves we, a little more. I do think we can get up there to you. I was about to say it about you, Garrett, but, but I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I understand how much you're, you're stressing about this burden of expectation and pressure. I don't want to, I don't want to stress you out and, and bring in that, uh, have some that, pity that, on your seconds. <laughs> the tendency to, to, to like, you know, like the, the fainting goats where they get stressed and then they just fall over to the side. Um, yeah. Don't want to. <laughs> a fainting spell. No, it's true yeah. that um, in the Raw Nationals, it's so competitive. It is to the point where it's not just the podium. You had someone touched up on this that even making top five at Raw Nationals means something. That's, that's to say I'm a top five lifter in the U.S. Raw Nationals is huge, especially when you see the depth that the U.S. Raw Nationals has. There's a lot of people yeah. battling just to make prime time. Is a huge, look at some of the guys who haven't made prime time, like Chance, uh, Charlie, these guys are, I mean, Charlie's an IPF world champion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. uh Yeah, it, it was crazy to me when I saw that even like Joey wasn't gonna be in prime time. I was bummed out because I thought he was gonna be there too. And I was just like, bummer. Dude's gonna squat like 700. Yeah. And, and probably crush it too. His deadlift is pretty darn good, and his bench is going to be like mid-fours. Like, yeah. yeah I, but, again, I think even making it, like you said, top five, I think prime. And even there's a couple of lifters who are going to be in the general sessions. They're going to total more than the person in, that finishes lowest in prime time. There's yeah. going to be some people that jump up there. And they're all just, I'd say, just take it back four years. You take back to the national champions four years ago, and you see how their numbers compare and it's just like, oh my gosh, they would have been like the Dan Greens of the USAPL unbeatable monster people that just, and all you have to do is just take it back a couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's like, how many Kevin Oaks and Larry Wheels do there need, do there need to be before Dan Green is just kind of like, oh yeah, he used to be pretty strong. I don't know what's up with him anymore. Yeah, exactly. Sort of deal. Which I'm not saying about Dan. I like Dan. Yeah, but that, still... that was my era when I, when I hopped in. People don't even know Nick Tyluki's name. They don't even know that like a 689 squat used to be this huge deal that was this amazing, crazy squat in the, it was back in the, it was the 220s back then. So, yeah, it's just, it, it's, I mean, even, even making it, there's people, there's, there's so many lifters, like with the thousand plus we have at nationals, how many people have, were, were aiming for a nationals qualification and didn't get it. The sport's growing. The expectations are growing. Like, I, most of us didn't get to where we are in just a few years. Like if you're at nationals again, I, we, this, these kind of things, we talk about the, the, the qualifying totals that are the highest. If you're there, way to freaking go. That's awesome that to even, to even make it to that, to even, and then to even make it to prime time and then to even make it to the podium. These aren't little things you're lifting more than 99 percent of the population of the world yeah. you're able to push through this idea of self-imposed discomfort and become a, a physically stronger version of yourself that is that inspires me 
like we'll we'll have fun and we'll we'll banter back and forth and talk about you know attempt selection to try and play the game to to put up these high qualifying totals in the depth of field and the top eight or the top ten or the top twenty lifters. That I I respect the crap out of anybody who's committing enough of themselves to this to continue to progress and to overcome. We never know where someone else is coming from, what they're going through, and just. Again, I, I, if if you're if you're on this path with us, like we're all walking it together, and I'm I'm thankful to get to share it with these thousands and thousands of lifters who are who are bettering themselves every day. I love this sport, so I've been doing it for almost twenty years. So, um, so thanks, thanks to everybody doing it. Yeah, yeah, well That's said, all. well said. So we're at the uh, one forty mark, and uh, so gentlemen, before I let you guys go, I'd like to get. What do you guys, what should we expect as fans when we tune in uh, to the 105s? What do you guys think we should expect from yourselves and how you think this is going to unfold? Whoever wants to go first, you take it. Basically how that UFC match went is uh, what you should expect. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's about the, the thing that should be happening, um, at least for the 105s. You know, it'll calm down for the, the 120s, 120 play. But the 105s... It's going to be some punches thrown. There will be <laughs> some people knocked out. Yeah, <laughs> standard. Park on the uh, be, there'll be some people slapping each other in the face with their SPD belts, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, think, I think what you're going to see, at least from us, is you're going to see uh, some guys who are, who are good friends who are rooting for each other to actually do their best and, and try, to, try to put up some crazy numbers. I know personally... Uh, Garrett, I think I think Garrett. I don't know about Garrett. I'm pretty open with my with my stuff. I'd like secret to, secrets are no fun. Yeah, secrets, secrets I, I'd no like fun. to take a run at the at the national squat record. I'd like to see if Eli and I can can try and play around with the national deadlift record. I know Garrett is probably going to look at that national bench record. Eh, maybe not. <laughs> it's, it's 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 up there. It's up there. If he can if he's if he's feeling feeling frisky for it but i think and then you're gonna see just uh, the the top eight guys that are all very capable and it's gonna come down to execution and i'm i'm excited for the opportunity and the challenge it's it's not gonna be easy to even to even hang and look like you belong because it's it's just gonna be crazy do you guys think that we'll have a, a national record for total definitely could it's it's within the it's within the reach of all three of us. Yeah. I don't I don't know that any of the other people uh, the other five I don't know if they could challenge the total. They could certainly challenge for a podium position or first or anything if any of the top three miss some lifts. But uh, Eli Eli's looking good. He may approach seven for his squat. I've seen him back and forth. He had a good. It looked maybe a little high, but I think he had a seven hundred. Uh, at a slightly heavier body weight, he did some 670 squats the other day that looked pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's he's got some fatigue that he's carrying right now. His 750 pull looked like an opener should. I in don't the know. in his comments or in his in his caption for that, he said he pulled 794 and held it for four seconds. I don't know if that was a typo, but. It yeah, was weird it to me that he would show the 750 and not the 794. It's not. It's not weird to me. It wouldn't. But it wouldn't bug. It wouldn't. That was me. only the tenth rep of his set of ten with 750 that he showed too. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how that works for with him. 
but yeah, he's he's going to be good. He probably wants to keep a little mystique in there, but he can pull. Uh, Eli has the wild card of what his grip can carry, and I think he can get off the floor uh, eight thirty five plus if he needs to. If he can hold it, will be what it comes down to. For Ben, Ben is probably going to squat. 740-ish, somewhere in there. I, think. I don't think they'll give it to me, Garrett. I don't think they'll don't let know. me. He has, he has coaches and handlers that tell him what to do, so I'll pay them to uh, make sure that it's not too far. Uh, it's gonna A lot is going to be riding, obviously, on my subtotal. My squat and my bench are really important, so I, I have to make I have to be six for six going into deadlifts, and I need to make all three deadlifts. I'll, I'll pull my third deadlift to regain first position, most likely. I'll have lost it by then. And then it will be if uh, Ben and Eli can take that back. And that, that's how it should play out at the end if we all bring our best day. If we don't, it's anybody's game. Um, uh, Mikey can get in there, Mikey D, and he might pull something wacko. Uh, Garrett Bailey could pull either for the win or for podium um, and edge anybody out. If, uh, if Bailey makes his deadlift and, like, Eli or Ben misses theirs, they could be chipped out into fourth. So there could be a lot of movement, but I think, I don't know. I still look at nationals as a, who's going to finish first. I'm always thinking about that. I don't care about second. I've ended up being second, but never, never. Cause I was planning on never trying had, to get second position. Yeah. I never settled for it. No, yeah, yeah. that's not, not interested in it. So, and then it's just, that's how, that's how it'll all work out. We'll see where the chips fall. If, uh, if Ben can pull what he needs to pull or if Eli can pull what he needs to be Ben. I think the most fun would be if I go nine for nine, Ben beats me, and then Eli beats Ben. I think that'd probably be the most fun and exciting way. And that'll probably be how it lines up. You uh, underdog little sass panda. I oh, see. Just sitting over here. I will say I'm I I'm I'm pretty freed of the burden of expectation. No one was talking about me last year. No one's no one was talking about me this year except for Garrett. And so I'm I, I'm just gonna go, go I'm gonna bring I'm go just gonna bring my 10. best. After you, you pulled. Yeah, I went 10 for 10 after, last year. After? Yeah, after the 71. Seven, yeah, he goes and pulls like 30 pounds more, and it looked like a second attempt. Wow. After got, National. We got sandbagged to, to secure podium position, and I only took a two-and-a-half kilo jump on my on my third because that's it wouldn't have made sense to take a bigger jump just to secure the position, and then I was, I was having a really good day, and so I just loaded up what my real third should have been in the warm-up room, and I pulled it, so I technically went 10 for 10 at Nationals last year. Nice. Uh, nice I, I, one of my goals is to not have that be the case this year. I would like to push the envelope a little bit. It would be nice to see what you could actually do as the top dog, and you know, now is when it matters. You can't hold off anymore. Uh, your your uh, secret time is done, Ben. It's time to show your true colors. Yeah, my I've seen them already. Of, of yeah. every lift all year being publicly available and saved online you can watch my warm-up as you can admit that that was a secret time ben that makes yeah, me happy. That, that's okay all right well there you have it ladies and gentlemen um at the u.s nationals we will see 100 from both these gentlemen i'm assuming both of you guys are going to leave it on the platform and be gunning for the top spot nobody's selling for anything less thank you for joining us and uh yeah until next time good luck with training good luck at raw nationals and we'll talk afterwards Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, fellas.